And he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn, convert, and consecrate our lives for our great good and for your greater glory. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It is amazing the things that we can come up with in our minds as children. It's been said that children are great observers but terrible interpreters. And I grew up thinking that my mother loved my older brother more than me. I was convinced of it. And that my... uh, Father loved my sister more than me. That was obvious to me. And then it all came to a deeper confirmation when one day I, on summer afternoon, I pulled out a drawer of all kinds of family pictures and I stumbled across the baby book of my brother and it was beautiful and well kept. All kinds of pictures and things written about his first word and first time he burped and everything that you could imagine, the first thing he ever did. And then my sister's, who was uh, two years younger than he, hers was nice, not quite as good as my, uh, my older brother's, but it was pretty nice. And then there was mine, just a little paperback thing they got from the hospital <laughs> that was hardly even filled out. There's a lot of reasons for that that I don't have time to go into and you don't need to hear. But I had one saving grace. My grandma Lawrence, I knew, loved me the most. (laughs) And told stories about me that was edifying and strengthening. And I used to go over to her house, be dropped off there for a summer afternoon. And and she liked to watch soap operas. And she had... uh, songbirds that she kept in a cage. And sometimes the songbirds would start singing kind of loudly during uh, her soap opera, so she'd go out and get a, a towel and put it over the, the cage. And I'd say, Grandma, why'd you put that towel over those, the, the cage? She said, Mark, a, a bird can't sing in a darkened cage. A bird can't sing in a darkened cage. Well, that's what the jailer thought that put Paul and Silas in the stocks after they had been beaten publicly for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and for driving a demoniac, a demon out of a woman who was used for clairvoyancy to predict who was going to win the Kentucky Derby and things like that, the next Super Bowl and whatnot. And so that cost her owners a lot of money. And so the, uh, they dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrate. And there they stripped them and beat them. And then gave them to the jailer who put them in stockade there in the dark of the prison. And about midnight they were still singing songs of praise to the living God. I suppose that jailer must have thought, who are these birds that can sing in a darkened cage. 
what is it that they have that enables them to live that way and to be so filled with joy and hope in the midst of such suffering and pain and difficulty. I suppose he might have been thinking about that when he fell asleep on the job. And sometime between midnight and dawn, an earthquake hit in Philippi and disrupted the jail and broke the bonds of all who were in the jail, including the stockades that Paul and Silas were incarcerated in. And when the jailer was awakened by the earthquake, he stirred awake and staring at the jail door and saw it open, he jumped to a conclusion that the that the prisoners had escaped and he had lost his catch, which meant under Roman law he was a goner. Death sentence. So he did what any good, honorable Roman soldier would do in such a situation. He was going to spare the Roman Empire the embarrassment of having to put him on trial and then put him to death. And he took his sword and was about ready to plunge it into his stomach or his neck when Paul, looking at the flickering torch uh, light from inside the darkness of the prison, saw him ready to put himself to death And he cried out to the jailer, Don't do it! We're all here! Now put yourself in this man's shoes. He's heard that these men have come preaching that there is a divine Savior named Jesus who has died on the cross and raised from the dead for the sins of the world, and he is the only Lord, not Caesar. That is illegal in Roman Empire to claim anyone other than Caesar as Lord. He has seen them beaten, and now he's in charge of keeping them in prison, but he's seen that there is something empowering them to be able to sing in a darkened cage. And they've just kept him from killing himself. And he has a wife and a family, a household that he almost left behind. He's been shaken to the core of his being. And when he calls for the aides, they bring the torches and they go inside and see everyone still there. And they, he prostrates himself at the feet of Paul and Silas and says... What must I do to be saved? Do you know that is life's most important question? The most important question you can ask yourself is what must I do to be saved? And so often it's only after we have been shaken to the core of our being had the the foundations ripped out from underneath us, that we even begin to ask the question, 
It is a question that every person here today needs to ask himself or herself. What must I do to be saved? Do you know that everyone here is in danger? Everyone here has a sickness that they cannot heal himself or herself from? You may say, Bishop, what are you talking about? You know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, the Bible says that our sins bear us away and we do not know it. <laughs> Years ago, I, I had something that illustrated this to me in a profound way. I was about 20 years old, and I went down to Redondo Beach to do a little body surfing. You know, body surfing is when you go out into the waves without a board, and if the waves are really high, they can, you can start swimming with the wave as it crests, and it picks your body up, and you get a great ride all the way in to the shoreline except for you pull out at the right moment, lest it drive you up into the sand. You dive down and swim away, hopefully. Well, I went out, and the waves were high that day. And uh, I tried to catch the first wave, and, and for some reason, I couldn't catch the crest of it quite the right, right way, so I pulled out and saw another one coming. Tried to catch it and couldn't catch it. Well, this went on, believe it or not, for about the length of this sermon, about 20 minutes. <laughs> I never worried about it because there was always another wave coming, never bothering to look to the shoreline. When I saw out of the right corner of my eye while I was waiting for a wave to come in, a man swimming up with a life preserver behind him, which caused me to look to my left. And there was a guy with a life preserver behind him. I thought, that's odd. I wonder what they're doing out here. <laughs> then one of them yelled out, hey, buddy, do you know you're on a riptide? Well, when he said that, for the first time all day, I looked to the shoreline and saw two things. There was a whole line of people lined up on the shoreline to see who the idiot was <laughs> that was out there in need of rescue. The next thing I noticed is they were real small. <laughs> I was a half mile out to sea and didn't know it. Hey, buddy, do you know you're in a riptide? Our sins bear us away and we do not know it. Well, I said, oh, yeah, I know I'm in one. No one wants to be a half mile out to sea and not know it, although I did not know I was there. Then he said, do you know how to get out of it? I figured it's no time to lie now. <laughs> Not shooting the bull now. No, I don't know how to get out of it. I'll tell you, just in case you're ever in one, you swim parallel to the shore till you're out of the pull of the rip because you cannot swim against the rip and get in. It will wear you out. And that's what trying to do with your sins by yourselves will do to you. You cannot swim against them in your own power. You are helpless 
over it. Our sins bear us away. This jailer asked life's great question. What must I do to be saved? And he, then he gets life's greatest answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Believe on him. Accept him. I have no doubt, you know, there are people that have been hearing about Jesus here in this church or some other church almost all their lives or maybe just for a couple of weeks or months, but you have not yet taken it for yourself. You might have even begun to intellectually believe it, but you haven't put yourself in it to be saved. Kind of like the way I learned to swim at Jefferson Pool at Jefferson Park in Bakersfield, California at the age of eight or nine. My mom took us down to the swimming pool there to get swimming lessons. You know, the first thing they had us do is walk round and round and round the pool. Then we dangled our feet in the pool. And then we actually got in the pool. And then we went into the water up to about our waist. And then came the scary moment when the teacher said, okay, you have to kick your legs out from underneath you and lean back on the water, spread out your arms and float. I thought, what if I don't float? But that's a symbol or an example of belief. Uh, that is, assuming it for yourself. You know, September, September 3rd, 1928 was a day that might have saved the life of half of the people here in this church. You know what happened on that day? It was at St. Mary's Laboratory in Paddington, England. And Alexander Fleming came, came back from his vacation for the summer. And he began to clean the Petri dishes that he had been doing some experiments in a bacteria known as Daptococci. The bacteria had killed more soldiers in World War I than any bullet or armament. And he was doing experiments in a Petri dish about this bacteria. And then... Being a sloppy and messy man, he didn't clean up the Petri dishes before he went away on vacation. And when he came back several weeks later, he came back to a messy laboratory and he began to clean out the Petri, Petri dishes. It just so happened a friend came by as he was cleaning out the Petri dishes and he was telling him what he was doing when he held up one of the Petri dishes to show his friend. And when he held it up to show his friend, he saw something he hadn't seen before. That where the bacteria was next to this mold, the bacteria was dead. As it just so happened, you see, that summer in the same laboratory there at St. Mary's Hospital in Paddington, London, someone else was doing an experiment with a mold known as penicillin. And it was such an odd winter, a summer of cold and heat that the, 
the fungus, the penicillin had spread into some of the petri dishes of Fleming. And wherever the penicillin was, the staph bacteria was dead. He thought that's odd. He shared it with two other scientists. And by 1942, they had come up with an antibiotic that we know today as penicillin that saved more soldiers in World War II than any peace accord. But if the soldier that had the bacteria that would kill him did not take the penicillin, he died. You, said St. Paul, who were once estranged and hostile in mind from God, doing evil deeds, Christ has reconciled to himself through his death in order to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before God. When you were dead in your trespasses, he died for you. That's the answer for what must I do to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, but you've got to take it for yourself. You see, when I came down with scarlet fever and at the age of 15, if I wouldn't have taken that antibiotic, I wouldn't be here today. And many of you would have died of some disease long ago if you had not taken the antibiotic that the doctor gave you. That's why the, the death rate is, uh, death, uh, the age of death is so much higher than it used to be. But you've got to take the medicine to be saved from the disease. And sometimes you don't even think about taking the medicine until you ask the question, what must I do to be saved? St. Paul and Silas didn't say, clean up your life, get it together. He didn't say, become a good person. He didn't say, be baptized and join the church. God knows he didn't say, wait till the bishop comes and be confirmed or received. And yet all those things happened, but only after he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes first. Believe in him and you will be saved. You and your household. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful gift. There is, a, as the Bible says, a balm in Gilead that heals the sin-sick soul. There is a medicine in Jesus that heals the sickness of your soul. But you've got to take it. Let us pray.